as Todd has already alluded to, I'm changing from John chapter 10, verse 11 through 21 today uh, to speak a word directly to our graduates. I'm just going to let you all listen in, uh, and I think you'll benefit from it because what I'm going to say to them also applies to each of you and each one of us in this room today, uh, and we'll come back to John chapter 10 uh, next week. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. While you're turning there, I'll remind you that tonight we will be being led in our worship time, part of it anyway, by our children's choirs. Uh, Children need to be here at 5.30, so parents make note of that and uh, have them here at that time so they can get lined up. And we look forward to that. And then we'll have our uh, we'll study from Ephesians 6, 17b, on the sword of the Spirit with Brother Scott bringing us that message this evening. But uh, today I want to talk about what Paul is interested in in challenging the Colossian Christians with here in chapter 2 and verse 8. He says this, he says, See to it that what no one takes you captive through philosophy. Or empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You know, each of you young people are about to go out into, as has been expressed, a brave new world, a challenging new world a world that is unlike anything you've ever seen, and you're going to have temptations, and you're going to have struggles, and you're going to have challenges like you probably have never seen before. Paul was concerned about that when he came to this passage in Colossians, when he's building them up and talking about the glory of Christ. And he says, there are out there in this world philosophy, philosophies. Now, philosophy is not a bad word. There is a Christian philosophy, and that's a good word. It's, it's a study of uh, philosophy literally means coming from phileo and, and logos, the love, of, the love of truth or the love of wisdom. So if you have a philosophy that's seeking the right things, seeking the true wisdom, the wisdom that is in Christ, philosophy is not bad. It's not bad at all. But Paul adds that sort of attachment to it. He said, don't be led astray by philosophy and empty deception. And the empty deception is really defining the type of philosophy that is out there that would seek to hold you captive. Now, they're going to face it in classrooms, and they're going to face it in, in, in people that are totally antagonistic to the gospel and antagonistic to the Christian faith. But we face it every day, whether we're in college or in high school or out in the workplace. We see every day philosophies that are captivated by empty deception, empty promises, Empty truth, which is no truth at all, because it's, it's vacuous, it's, it's empty, it has nothing to it. But there are common philosophies that are going to seek to captivate your mind and your heart and lead you astray from the one who is all truth, and that is Jesus Christ, just as it does with every one of us every day. Whether you're sitting in front of a tube watching television and watching philosophies just come 
pouring out of that or whether you're reading popular magazines or popular books that are philosophically based, although they might just say, oh, no, they're just for entertainment. They're philosophically based to give you a worldview, to give you an idea that is contrary to the truth of Christ. And Paul says, don't be led astray by that. Don't be held captive by that. Don't let anyone take you captive. there, There are probably hundreds of things out there that I could touch on, but I want to touch on three what I would call vain philosophies or empty deceptions that will seek to pull you away from knowing Christ as it does all of us every day. The first one that would seek to keep you away from the true and living God, and by the way, these three things, I think, make it difficult for our world to receive and to believe in Christ and to receive the revelation of God through His Word because they so fill their minds. The first thing I would, is what I would call the autonomous individual. The, the philosophy of life that says you are who you are and you are all that matters. You go after what you want, you seek your own pleasure, you seek your own desires, and, and don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about anything telling you or anyone telling you what to do or how to live. Even in your religious life, don't, don't, be, don't think that somebody can have authority over you and don't let, you are an autonomous individual. One author called this custom-fitted religion or custom-fitted spiritualities. I will be what I want to be however I want to be an autonomous individual. You'll see that in, in different expressions. You'll see it at one point where someone will talk about the absolute liberty of personal volition or personal choice. You know, you are, you are free and you are at liberty to choose whatever you want to choose. You can do whatever you want to do. You're about to go away from home for the most, most of you to college. You won't have mom and dad there uh, checking on everything. They may try. No, they will try. I had four that went off to college. I tried. I I couldn't do that. You won't have mom and dad there. You'll be going home to them every night. And there will be people who will say to you, you now have absolute freedom. You're like a bird that's been caged, and now you've been set free. Go out and enjoy it to the fullest. And make choices you want to make. Whether they're right choices, wrong choices, good choices, bad choices, doesn't matter. You are now have absolute liberty to make your own personal choices. You'll hear this autonomous individual philosophy expressed with with people saying, you now have the right, and the key word there is right, to personal happiness and personal fulfillment. Do whatever you have to do to be happy. Do whatever you have to do to be fulfilled. If it means being disobedient to God's word and disobedient to parents and disobedient to rules, don't worry about it. You're a, you are an autonomous individual, so just go out and, and enjoy your right to happiness, your right to personal fulfillment. I would remind you that the Scripture says you do have a lot of rights, but those are not what are exalted in the Scripture. Responsibility is exalted in the Scripture. And while you may have rights, you also have responsibilities, responsibilities to be faithful to what you have been taught. Pat mentioned it in in his prayer, and and I I would concur. I've never known a group of young people that have had the preparation that you have had through Sunday school and and Oasis on Wednesday night and and your worship time. You have been prepared with God's Word and with God's truth. There will be those who will try to strip that away and say, well, if you hold fast to the truth you've been taught, you you won't be as fulfilled as you, you, you might want to be. I encourage you to reject that empty deception. 
they'll also tell you there's a danger in this autonomous individual philosophy. There's a danger in repressed desires. You know, if you, if you, if you repress certain animalistic desires, you, 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 you'll, be, you'll be ruined for life. You'll be, you'll be scarred for life. When God says, listen, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. One of the fruit of the Spirit is not saying, I've got to have my rights fulfilled and do what I want to do all the time. So autonomous individual will also tell you that, you know, communities or, or governments or whatever, have, have, are, are, they're free to make their own rules. They're not subjected to any higher law. I, I would encourage you to understand that there's a law above the law of this land. There's a law that's greater, as much as I love the Constitution, there's a law that's greater than the Constitution, and that's the law of Almighty God. And we're called to be submitted to that. Autonomous individual philosophy says... No, that's too limiting. This, this autonomous individual philosophy will also say to you, you can have absolute trust in your own personal intuition and feelings. You, you've heard it stated before, just follow your heart. You know, just, just go out there and follow your heart. Do whatever feels right. Well, a lot of times your heart and your intuition and your feelings are still affected greatly by the problem of sin and the sin that dwells within you. And your heart can be led astray, and your intuitions can be led astray, just as ours can. I encourage you to dis distrust your own intuition and feelings if that intuition and feeling is not bathed in, based upon, and clearly taught in God's Word. This autonomous individual will also tell you, and it almost sounds contradictory, to have a trust in what everybody thinks, what everybody's doing. You know what? You've used this on your parents, I know, even in high school. Well, why can't I do it? Everybody's doing it. Well, there'll be this philosophy of autonomous uh, individualism that will get out there and you'll say, well, gosh, everybody else is doing it in, me, in my school. Everybody else is, is going this and involving themselves in these activities. It must be right. It must be good. When it's in total contradiction to what you've been taught. So I would urge you to Guard yourself against this vain, this empty deception in philosophy of the autonomous individual. You, you'll also be faced out there with a second philosophy that is empty. And, and that philosophy is what I would call diminished humanity. A diminishing of humanity, of human worth, of, of human uh, of value. Uh, you hear that in all sorts of ways. There, there's belief in all sorts and various brands of, of what we would call uh, determinism. Uh, that fits under another one too, but, but you know, just the whole idea that, well, everything's determined, I'm just going to do what I do, and everything will come out all right. That's, a, that, that's diminishing humanity. That's diminishing your ability to think and your ability to reason that God has given to you. The, the view under diminished humanity that, that hu humans are nothing more than creative animals. You've probably already heard that in biology or anatomy or something. You know, well, we're just we're sort of a little bit of advanced on the evolutionary chain, and, and we're just kind of creative animals. Dogs aren't as creative as we are. I know some dogs are more creative than some adults, uh, to, uh, to be honest, some professors perhaps even. But, but you know, we're just creative animals. We're, we're nothing more than just the animal, part of the animal kingdom. So just, just you know, there's nothing special about humanity. Just do what you want to do. Live out your animal instincts. Thirdly, in this diminished humanity, you'll see a devaluing of human life. 
and human values. We see that every day splattered on the front page when we see things like the Gosnell trial, where life is just nothing but a, a little baby laying on a slab and snipping their spine to kill them because the abortion didn't work like they wanted to. Life is seen as nothing but a disposable commodity. And, and we have to come to a point of realizing God, in God's eyes and in our eyes, life is far more valuable than that. We have to realize that, that this philosophy will say to you, don't worry about people, don't worry about hurting folks, don't worry about anything else, just do your own thing because humanity doesn't really matter. You might even see this expressed in this diminished humanity under a view of, of a worship of wealth. I got to get all I can get. I got to get rich. I got to make my first million by the time I'm 30. Probably won't make mine before I hit 300. But that's not my goal. But diminished humanity says, listen, it's not about people. It's not about being the right kind of person. It's about getting what you can. And quite honestly, if you look at our philosophy of, of our world today, you look out there and what you see is you see people saying, I've just got to get everything I can for me. I mean, I'm a capitalist at heart. I'll be honest with you, but, but capitalism can become a god where it's just I've got to make all I can and keep all I can and enjoy all I can for nothing but me. There's a worship of wealth. You also see this in a worship of celebrities. Uh, you know, you can look at different uh, expressions on social media, and you see people just exalting celebrities, praising celebrities. It's this famous person, and their, their life is a wreck and a shambles, but, but our culture worships them and thinks we ought to try to emulate them. You'll also see diminished humanity expressed in the simplification of ideas, what I call the dumbing down of reality. Uh, you know, it just bringing it to its lowest common denominator, just saying, you know, you don't have to worry about a higher truth. You don't have to worry about a higher good. You don't have to worry about, you know, just, just get alone. Just, just get by. And we see that every day, a dumbing down of ideas. There's a third philosophy that I want you to see that's expressed in various ways, not just the autonomous individual and the diminished humanity, but also an idolatrous view of the universe, an idolatrous view of creation. Listen, the psalmist said in Psalm 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's why they're there. When we look at the stars in the sky at night, when we look at the trees as they turn green in the spring and as the leaves color, colors change in the fall, we ought to look at that and say, wow, what a great and creative God we have. Yesterday, one of our families was on vacation in Florida just trying to make me miserable. Sent me this beautiful picture of the beach where he was sitting. Mark Fothergill, if you want to know who it was. And, and Mark sends me this and says, thinking of you, baloney. He wasn't thinking of me. He was wanting me to think of him is what he wanted. But under that picture, this beautiful picture of the beach down in Florida, he, he put these words, I continually stand amazed at how God expresses his glory. Wow. What a great truth. When you see the universe... When you sit in science classes and look out into the heavens and when you, when you sit in various classes and hear various philosophies, I want you to remember all of that was created, all of that was put there, not so that you would worship it, not so that you would get some kind of idolatrous view of the universe, but so that you would say, wow, what a great and creative and mighty God exists. 
you would worship him. This idolatrous view of the universe you'll see expressed in, in my favorite term, my favorite in the sense of my favorite term I love to hate, you know, the belief in Mother Nature. I always get impressed. I, want, I scream at the television sometimes when the, the weatherman or weather woman says, well, Mother Nature is bringing us this storm system. I want to say, there is no Mother Nature. There's a Father God, and He created nature, but there is no Mother Nature. But a belief in Mother Nature and other impersonal powers that control the universe. Horoscopes, you know, Ouija boards, whatever. You know, there, there's this crazy phenomenon that people would rather believe stupid things like that than they would that the true and the living God has revealed himself. There's an idolatry toward the creation because of Another way to express itself is just what I would call a broad view of trust in progress. You know, oh, we're, we're, we're getting better, we're getting smarter, we're doing more, we all, hey, baloney, there's no progress. Most of what we call progress today is a degradation toward God. And, and this belief in the universe is, oh, we're making it better, we're getting better, we're getting things better. You can also see that expressed in a contrary thing of just an absolute pessimism, so it shows itself several ways. Belief in karma or fate, you'll hear people especially on college campuses, talking about stuff like that. You'll also see this diminishing idolatry of the universe expressed in a, a diminishing of the meaning of words and text. You're going to be in some literature classes and some English classes and other things where they're going to look at the writings of various people, including probably some of them the Scripture. They'll take the Bible writings and they'll say, well, you know, we... We really want to know what does that mean to us, not what did the writer mean. And, and the whole postmodern view says, you know, you really can't know what the writer meant. You can only know how you can interpret it and how you can reflect upon it. So, so don't believe in anything the writer said. Just believe in what you want to make it. And that's a, that's a belief that, you know, out there is more important than who is out there. What is out there is more important than who. Some will tell you, well, you know, this is a matter of faith. This is a matter of trust. You've never seen God. You've never seen Jesus. Never seen the Holy Spirit. You, you weren't there for creation when God created everything. So all of that is, is, is a faith thing. And, and they will say, well, you know, faith is really less than fact. I would challenge that. And I hope by your apologetics, you know, the books aren't over there now, but through your apologetic studies, you've been equipped to challenge that some. But some will say in this worship of all the creation rather than the creator, this idolatrous view of the universe, they will say, yeah, but you know, if it's not factual and historical and literal and something we can touch and see and taste and feel, then it's not true. I, I love the story, and I, it may be a, a, a false story. It may not be true, but it sure makes a lot of sense about the professor who was talking about God can't see him, can't touch him, can't hear him. And, so he can't exist. And one student standing up and saying, well, looking at the class and saying, do you all believe our professor has a brain? We've never seen it. We've never touched it. So I don't believe our professor has a brain. Well, you know, that's, that's kind of a silly way to look at it, but it's true. There's some who will tell you that unless you can just really hold it in your hand, it's not real. Let me tell you something. You've been taught the reality of the living and the true God in Jesus Christ. Cling to that. Hold to that. 
Don't be held captive through philosophy and empty deception. There's a lot of ways to illustrate that in the Scripture. There's a lot of ways to see it. I, I mentioned in my Grace Notes article as I just kind of congratulate you guys. And my, my prayer is that you would be in a, have a, the spirit of Elijah who, who stood firm against false gods and says, choose you this day who you'll serve. If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. But sir, choose today who you're going to serve. And all of the multitudes were against him. And yet he said, I will serve the true and the living God. And God proved himself through Elijah's life. I also mentioned Joseph, who is one of my all-time biblical heroes, who, who lived in constant awareness of the presence of God. I, I love the story in Genesis. I, I wish I had time to read it, but it takes up a whole section of the, of the book of Genesis. But I, I just want to just listen to this. There's, there's a few statements here I want you to hear because they're important as we think about this in this vain philosophy. In, in chapter 39, it starts out by saying, and the Lord was with Joseph. In verse 21, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And verse 23 says, because the Lord was with him. And you go on and on through here, over and over and over, there's that expression, the Lord was with Joseph. Well, I want you to know the Lord's going to be with you and with all of us as we face challenges of philosophy and empty deceptions every day. The Lord is with us. But in that statement, in Genesis, there's more to that than just the, the idea that, oh, well, God's there. God's everywhere. We know that. And God's with you in the classroom and, and everywhere you go. But the reality of what the writer of Genesis is saying, what, what Moses is trying to communicate through the life of Joseph here is this. Joseph was keenly aware that the Lord was with him. Joseph was aware 24-7 that God was with him. And his heart's desire was to honor him and please him and glorify him through everything he did. Joseph did not have an easy life. If you've ever read the story or heard about it, you, you find in the book of Genesis that Joseph was hated by his brothers he was sold into slavery by them. He, he rose in slavery to Potiphar's house. He was falsely accused of, uh, of sin after going through a tremendous temptation that the Scripture says was day after day after day. He was tempted. Then he was falsely accused. Then he was thrown into jail. Then he thought he had his ticket out of jail, and they forgot him, and he stayed there two more years until finally he was brought out, interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and then went on to be, as, as Ricky read in the Scripture reading this morning, over all of Egypt by Pharaoh's hands. Never once did Joseph say, I was able to grit my teeth and do what I wanted to do. But he was able to say, I knew the Lord was with me. I trusted in him to deliver me. When, when Potiphar's wife tried to tempt him, he, he said, how can I do such a great sin against God? He recognized the presence of God. Mom and dad were back a long way off. They were back in Palestine. They weren't down in Egypt with him now. That mom and dad would never know, that his local pastor would never, he didn't have a pastor, but his rabbi or whatever would never know. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have believed the false philosophies of, of our world today because they were just as prevalent, maybe a little different expression, but just as real back in his day. But he said, no, how can I do that and sin against God? The Lord was with him. So you fast forward to Genesis 41, which Ricky read 
when Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Recognized in Joseph, there was something unique about him. Pharaoh was a pagan. Pharaoh was not a believer in Yahweh God, but he recognized there was a difference in Joseph's life. And he raised him up and put him over all of Egypt, second only to himself. You see, Joseph had a very difficult home life. His brothers hated him. And in the midst of that, he demonstrated love and kindness. When they sold him into slavery, he was taking them food and water. He was showing them love, expression of love. He was meeting their needs. He had a very difficult home life, and he showed love and kindness. He, He entered into a very difficult temptation with Potiphar's wife, evidently a very beautiful woman who day after day after day sought to seduce him, and he refused to do it. Because he said, how can I sin against God? He demonstrated faithfulness to God and self-control in his life. Self-control because of the presence of God. He had some very difficult circumstances. He was because of a lie. Potiphar's wife, because he would not uh, be involved with her, uh, said uh, he tried to take advantage of me. He tried to rape me. She lied about him, and and so he was thrown in prison. He had difficult circumstances because of a lie. And in the middle of that, he demonstrated joy and peace and faithfulness, patience. I I love the statement, when the the cupbearer and the baker are thrown into prison with him, after he's been there for some time, and and he goes over to Pharaoh's officials, and in verse 7 of chapter 40, this is what he says. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were there, in confinement in his master's house, that was in the dungeon with him, he asked them this. He said, why are your faces so sad today? Duh. Why are your faces so sad? I'm sure they looked at Joseph and said, do you know where you are? You're here with us. We're in prison. We're in the dungeon. But the Lord was with him. He acknowledged the Lord. He had faithfulness. He trusted God even in the midst of that. Finally, after all the dreams and all that came about, he was taken out of prison, interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and he was put over a, a difficult task. There been seven years of there were going to be seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine, and and he had to plan during the seven years of plenty so that they could survive through the seven years of famine. And he trusted God. He demonstrated faithfulness. He didn't say, oh, "I can do this." I had algebra two, and you know, I, I can figure this out. No, he trusted the Lord. He was faithful Lord. He recognized the presence of the Lord. And then finally, at the very end, he had a very difficult reunion. His brothers were sent down. We don't have time to go into all the details of it, but you know the story. His brothers came down to get some food, and there he is in all of his Egyptian garb, all of his Egyptian regalia, leader of the nation over everybody, and he looks down at his brothers, who are kneeling before him. What would you have done? He probably had a sword handy at his side. I I think I probably would have said, oh, hi, guys. Whack! They're done for. You sold me into slavery. You mistreated me. I was your brother for crying out loud. He didn't do that. He looked at them after a little testing and everything, and In this difficult reunion, he demonstrated toward them what he had always demonstrated toward them, love and kindness and goodness. So much so that in verse 
in the, in the 50th chapter and a couple of places in Genesis, but the end, he looks at them again and says, don't be afraid for I am, I am here in God's place, literally because God put me here. As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present, this present result to preserve many people alive. Throughout his life, Joseph trusted God. Throughout his life, he had vain philosophy and empty deception trying to pull him in, trying to soak him in. And he always said, I would rather serve Christ, I'd rather serve God than enjoy the pleasures that these empty philosophies claim to offer me. Young folks, you're going to face that. You're going to face all sorts of levels of that. You're going to face people who have bought into it, and so they have, it, they have a hard time believing in the one true and sovereign God. You're going to face them. You're going to face them day one. You may even get one as a roommate at college. I want you to know many times their formative ideas about who God is has been based on empty deception. It's been based on their intuition. It's been based on their feelings. You have the advantage of having your understanding of who God is and who Christ is based firmly on God's revelation of himself, tested and tried and proven. And you've been taught that word. You've been taught that revelation. You've been prepared. And I would just remind you of this. We looked at it months ago in John's Gospel John says, and the Word became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. As you go out of here into the unknown in many ways, I challenge you to be a Joseph, to lean on his grace that he has shown you in Christ Jesus and to live by his truth, which I know has been built into your life since you were an infant. I challenge you to believe who he is and trust in his nearness and his presence the whole way. You'll hear a lot. All I ask you to do is filter it through what you know to be true. Filter it through God's Word and understand it in light of who He is and what He's done in your life. I'm going to miss you guys. I look forward to you coming back. Let's pray. And I hope you who have just been eavesdropping have listened carefully. Because there are philosophies out there and empty deceptions that want to lead you astray just like, the, just like these young people. According to tradition of man, according to elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. May we all keep our face. May we all keep our focus. May we all keep our attention upon Christ. Father, 
We ask you, O Lord, to do your work in our lives this morning. Perhaps, Lord, there's some here you need to draw to yourself. You're doing that. I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will strengthen their lives. Father, perhaps there are others here that just need to understand again the truth and the reality of your presence like Joseph did. Speak clearly, O Lord. Make that known to them. And Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will renew each of us to be filters by your word. Let your word be the filter of our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.